Years ago, there was a, uh, a rural church that had a tradition of doing a Christmas play, and it was a little bit different the way they did it. They did it with the baby Jesus, and then they had a 12-year-old who played medium-age Jesus, and then they had Jesus, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, all in one one-hour production. And the boy who was playing, or the young man who was playing median Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, had done it a year or two, and he was pretty cocky about it. You know, he was getting to play Jesus. And so before the play, the night of the production, he's standing out in the hallway with everybody. And a little four-year-old boy walks by, and he's asking, who is this? Who are you playing who? And he sees this guy, and he said, who? he's asking, who is he playing? Nobody will tell him. So he walks up to the 12-year-old, and he says, who are you in the play? And, and the young man kind of crosses his arms, and he goes, I'm who Christmas is all about. And the little boy pauses, and his mouth opens real wide, and he goes, you're Santa Claus. <laughs> hey, I'm pro-Santa all the way. In fact, I've said if the job ever came open, I would leave the pastor to go to the North Pole and finish my career Santa Claus. But we believe that, although Santa's important, that Jesus is kind of the reason that we celebrate Christmas. We're in Matthew chapter 1, if you have your Bibles today. And we're starting a series that we're going to actually end at the candlelight on the 24th at 530, December 24th. About what is Christmas all about? And honestly, Christmas is a lot more than about the we can get in five sermons. But we're going to try to hit on some of the big highlights. And this morning, again, we're going to start in Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25. I want to read this before we dive into the sermon. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this is very important. Depending on your Bible translation, you see the word that she was betrothed, some say pledged, and that's a, that's a very unique part of marriage that, that was in Jesus' day in Israel, particularly in his part of the, of the country in Galilee. Marriage was three, a three-pronged uh, step process. You got engaged when you were like eight years old. So everybody in front of me, y'all were already engaged. No more dating. You're 10 years old, you're on the playground, some girl sends you a note, I like you, you have to say, no, I'm engaged, I'm sorry. And your, your parents did that, which would have been creepy and terrible for most of us. Uh, so you're engaged when you're a little kid. Then there was the formal marriage, but before that is a one-year period, that pledge betrothed stage. And during that stage, listen, this is, it's a very unique, you were considered married, you were considered husband and wife. It could only be broken by divorce. The catch is she still lived at home with mama, and he lived out on his own, and there's no sex during this time. After that one year, then there's the formal marriage, and they're, you know, they're officially married. It's during this pledge time that Mary comes up pregnant, and Joseph knows it's not his. How many of you think that's a problem? That's a big problem. Now, there's a really little interesting phrase here. We'll look more at this in the weeks ahead. It says that she was found to be with child. Very possibly, she didn't tell him. It was like one day he noticed, Mary, you need to go on the Atkins diet or something's wrong. I mean, you're chubby all of a sudden, and you used to not be. Verse 19 through 25, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to embarrass her, Resolved to divorce her quietly, but after he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from God. 
She will bear a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. This is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke up from the dream. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not know her, which literally means he did not have sex with her until after she had given birth to Jesus. Let me tell you this morning what our heartbeat is about Christmas. Christmas is about God showing you what he's like. This isn't the only thing it's about, but one of the huge things that Christmas is about, Christmas is about God the Father saying to them 2,000 years ago and saying to you and me this morning, I want to show you exactly what I am like. I, I saw a study several weeks back, and it was looking at a bunch of different worldviews. Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, uh, agnostics, different philosophies about, and it put nine different questions or statements that all of these worldviews had in common. And here is two or three of these I think is very interesting that certainly apply this morning. Is there a God? And if there's a God, what is he like? And if there's a God, can we know this God, and we're going to answer that this morning. Let me tell you the first thing this morning about God showing us what it's like. Jesus is the Son of God, and He is God. Now, we're going to take this. That's, I know that's a deep thing, and we're going to look at several different scriptures, but this is very important to understand. Can you figure that out? Can you explain it? Absolutely not, not in rational terms. But this is when Jesus was born, when God sent Jesus to earth, He was trying to show you and me what he's like. And right off the bat, we have to believe what the Bible says, that Jesus is God and he is the Son of God. Look in verse 23 again. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is a direct quote almost from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, a prophecy that had happened hundreds of years earlier. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. It's a Hebrew word, which literally means God is with us. Now, Jesus was never called Emmanuel. You never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter says, Hey, Emmanuel, pass the fish. Or, Hey, Emmanuel, are we going to walk across the lake today or are we going to take the boat? He, you know, they didn't call, they called him master, rabbi, teacher, Jesus. Emmanuel was a descriptive title. You've had descriptive titles. People have called, like I was called Mr. Good Looking in high school. And Mr. Humble, too, right? Those are jokes. But you know, you know people have, have nicknames, and you, they have descriptive titles. Emmanuel was a descriptive title. He's talking about who he is, that he's God in the flesh. He is God that literally walked among us. And now I want us to look at a few scriptures. You write these down if you're taking notes, because they're so important. John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, again, the New Testament is written in Greek, and that, that verb was is, a, is a, a, an imperative, but it's also an imperfect tense verb for the Greeks. And imperfect means it's ongoing, it's continuing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is Jesus. The, that, literally, that word, Word, means the message. The message of God is Jesus. In the beginning, was Jesus has always been. He was, and He is, and always will be. And, and the Word was with God, and He's with God today. And the Word was God. He is God. You know what? Right out, he's telling us right off the bat, Jesus Christ, it's hard to, you can't figure it out, but he's the Son of God, and he is God. And you go down to John 1, 14. 
It says, and the Word became flesh. Jesus became, God became a human. And He dwelt among us. We saw that verb dwelt a few weeks ago. We talked about heaven, about God dwelling with men. And, and that's from the Old Testament where the tabernacle of God dwelt with people, God's presence with the people. And what he was saying, when Jesus came to earth, listen, they could touch him, they could see him, they could hear him. They were literally in his presence. We have seen his glory. And glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 18 is wonderful too. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side has made him known. I'm going to tell you what that's saying. That's saying no one has seen God, but when you've seen Jesus and you get a picture of Jesus, you see God. In John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, just, I mean, couldn't get any clearer than this. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, if I've been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip, listen to what he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Did you get that? How can you say, show me, uh, show us the Father? When you looked at me, you have seen the Father. One more verse, Hebrews chapter 1, or excuse me, three more in Hebrews. 1, 1 through 3, long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to the prophets God spoke through fire, he spoke through flames, he spoke through water. But in these last days, the last days is the last 2,000 years since Jesus has been here. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. And verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Wow. It said the exact imprint. Now, in Jesus' day, a coin, like in our day, a coin, a lot of the coins had the picture of the kings or the emperors. And it was an imprint. It looked like what the king was supposed to look like. How many of you have ever seen President Grant? You've seen pictures. None of you have ever seen him unless you had some seance you haven't told us about, right? That's President Grant. He was a great uh, Union general in in the Civil War, and he was a president after that. Grant is on what currency? The $50 bill. We see more ones here at the church in the offering plate, but that is a 50. That's what Grant looked like. That is his imprint. And here's, man, listen, this is what the Bible's saying. God wants you to know what he's like, and he's saying Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. When you get to know Jesus, you get to know the Father. Isn't that cool? To know one is to know the other, and Christmas is about God bringing himself to earth to show him to us. I love the old saying, and I think it's true, you can't put God in a box. And you can't put God in a box, but you can put God in a body. God was put in the body of Jesus Christ, one that could be seen and touched and heard, and someone that we can experience this morning. Virgil was a Roman poet who died about 20 years before Jesus. And he understood humanity and our need, and he said, we need we need a half man and a half God to come and save us and to help us. We can't do it ourselves. And I wish he could have seen 20 years later, God didn't send a half man and a half God. He sent a full man and he sent a full God to come and do that for us. 
Listen, I can't explain it. Nobody else can explain it. We have one God who's made himself known in three ways, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can't explain it to you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's God. I accept it, what the Bible says. And God wants you to know this. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the Father, which is tremendous. Here's the second thing this morning that goes with this, and I think this is so important. Jesus and God are the one supreme God. Jesus, God, is the one supreme God. That's not politically correct. I understand that, and I can handle that. I, I, I'm going to go with what the Bible says. That's what the book that, that I've bought into and that I believe is the perfect uh, the real word of God. And in Hebrews 1, I want to go back and look at Hebrews 1, 3 one more time. Just the subtlety of what it says. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by, by the word of his power. You think the universe is pretty significant? And, and if you're reading, if you're taking notes, you go back and read John 1, the whole chapter tonight. Read Colossians 1 and 2. And it tells us that nothing that was created, that wasn't created by Jesus. Jesus created everything. He upholds everything. I saw this last year in the book Amazing Truths. Some astronomers say when you look at the sky and when we look at what we have discovered in science, some of them believe we we have seen 5% of what's out there in space. Think about that. Five percent, five percent. And in an article in Discovery Magazine last year, an astronomer said he believed that Earth is one of 700 quintillion planets. You don't know what a quintillion is. Even you bankers don't know what that is. It, it, 700 quintillion is seven with 20 zeros after it. In other words, that this astronomer believes that there is there's so many, so much out there we can't even get our heads and hands around it. And yet the Bible says Jesus created it all and holds it all in the palm of his hand. Is that not wonderful? Years ago in London, there was a Catholic scholar named Charlie Sheed who was debating atheists and, and explaining about God and creation. And while he was talking, a heckler stood up and began arguing with him about God. And he goes, this universe is such a mess. I could create a better universe than God did. She'd called him on stage and said, we won't ask you to create another universe, but how about pulling a real rabbit out of your hat right now? You can't create anything. I can't create anything. And the Bible says Jesus created it all, and he holds it all in his hand. The baby born in Bethlehem is the one supreme God, and he wants you to know that. Is that not awesome? But I want to make it more warm and personal to you this morning. Not that those things aren't extremely important, but here's the third thing. This Jesus, this God, is love. When I was growing up, to be honest with you, I, I divided God. The Old Testament God was a rough father, hard-nosed, tough, and Jesus was sweet and kind. Did any of y'all ever have that kind of thought in your mind? I did. Theologian named Michael Reeves, who studied and dealt with and tried to help people who were atheists and agnostics try to understand why they wouldn't accept a God, he found several characteristics. One is most of them had a bad daddy growing up. And then they viewed the God of heaven as being a tyrannical, dictator, mean, bully God. That's not who God is at all. 
Remember, when you see Jesus, you see God. Christmas was God making himself known to us. Way over the end of the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, listen to what it says. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's not just loving. God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made known, manifest among us at Christmas that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this love, not, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. You see, I can get excited thinking about Jesus being God and Jesus being the supreme ruler holding the universe in his hand like this. That excites me. But you know what makes me feel a lot better? Knowing that our God manifest in Jesus Christ is love, is love. That's awesome. And, and I want to I piggyback on that point, which I think is beautiful too. Not only is he just loved, our Jesus God is gentle and kind. He's gentle and kind. How many of you have ever had someone tell you they loved you and then they brutalized you? As a young pastor, I used to duck when people would tell me they loved me because I knew they were fixing to say, I love you, but you're an idiot. You know that. I mean, you've had people, people tell their husband or wife they love them and go cheat on them. I mean, they did their boyfriend or their girlfriend. We understand that. And so you say, well, God is love. Well, what does that mean? I know people who say they love, but they're not really loving. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. Remember, Jesus is God. In Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I am gentle, lowly in heart. Wow. Let me, let me encourage you. You get your understanding of God from the Bible, not some theology book. You don't just get it from some preacher. And when God describes himself, when Jesus describes himself, hey, when he talks about how he interacts and relates with you, he says, yeah, I hold the universe in my hand. Don't mess with me. But I love you. And yet religious people all around you may be arrogant jerks. I understand that. I've been around them my whole life. But Jesus says, I am humble and gentle and tender. Wow. Is that not awesome? That's how he embraces you this morning. Here's the next thing that I think is wonderful. Our Jesus, our God, is truth and grace personified. Truth and grace personified. Let's go to John 1.14. John 1.14 says, And the word Jesus became flesh, God became flesh, he dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the Shekinah glory of God. As the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That word truth there is important. It means what's right. It means reality. Reality opposed to a, an illusion. It means, it means honesty and faithfulness and trustworthy. Folks, the Bible says God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Isn't it neat to know you ha- you're dealing with someone who is in God that is completely trustworthy and faithful? When the Bible says it, it's true. But not only is God truth, because truth can be a little overwhelming, God's grace also. It says in verse 14, but I want you to look in verse 16. Man, this is such a great verse. And from his fullness, Jesus 
We have all received grace upon grace. Let me take two minutes to try to tell you what that means. The word grace, if you're taking notes, is one of the great words in the Bible. It literally means joy and favor and acceptance. But here is the best understanding of grace. It's unearned and undeserved favor. It's somebody being kind and reaching out to you when you absolutely do not deserve it. When you haven't earned it, in fact, you've earned the whip and you're getting grace. It's God's unearned, undeserved favor. Hey, you know what? If you're not a Christian today, you are separated from God. But because of the grace of God, the undeserved mercy and kindness of God, you can, you can leave here on your way to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? But it's not just for lost people. It's for Christians. How many of you Christians have sinned recently? Raise your hand or you're a liar. You've sinned right now. Merrick, did you raise your hand? If you're asleep, you're sinning. Raise your hand. Man, listen, that grace is for us as Christians as we sin and as we fail and as we mess up. You don't have to raise your hand on this. I'll tell you, for, you know, there's times I wonder, have I exhausted God's grace? I mean, is he, a, I'm at the limit, no more grace for you, get the paddle out, we're going to start hammering him. He says, grace upon grace. Sure, there's punishment. Sure, there's deadlines in our lives. But it's like he's saying, listen, here's the, you want to know what Jesus is like? You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You see God. He says he's full of grace upon grace. In other words, you wake up tomorrow and you had a really bad day today. God's got a thousand gallons of grace he's willing to dump back on you. How many of you like that picture of God? It's better than a hell sermon. Truth and grace personified. And here's how it all comes together. This Jesus God wants to save you. He's come to save you. Not just for non-Christians, so stay with me. He's supreme over everything. You know, I hear sometimes theologians or people who want to talk deep well god's god he can do anything he wants to god bound himself by the bible god can't lie amen it's not like god's just doing arbitrary things because he's god and he can I mean, he's he's bound himself by the bible he's grace he's love he's truth and, and the fact that god holds everything in his hands man i respect that and i fear that the fact that god loves me and he's gracious towards me and you And he's kind. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? And the fact that God who started everything, Jesus who started everything, holds it all in his hands. And someday we will see him spinning the universe on his finger like an NBA basketball player does (laughs) the ball. That's the power he has over it. But yet there was a decision made in eternity that, that God wanted to leave earth to come to save you. You. In Matthew 20, excuse me, 121, she will bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Hold that verse up there. Again, at the end in verse 25, it says he's born, they named him Jesus. The word Jesus, the name Jesus, is, uh, is the Greek for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Jesus' literal, literal name means salvation. He will save his people 
We believe that includes everybody, not just Jewish people or non-Jewish, everybody. The word save means to deliver or to rescue. I promise you, everybody in this room has been or needs today to be rescued from some things, from their sins. The word sin means to miss the mark. How many of you know some pretty good sinners or pretty bad sinners? You know some people who, you church people, we're pretty good at knowing other people are sinners. Amen? I know those people, if you know. They go to temple. I'm just Absolute joke. Religious humor. Reggie Bridges is a good friend of mine. They go to Trinity. No, I'm just teasing. Totally teasing. You can't take a joke. You will not enjoy heaven. Remember, heaven's fun. Hell's not fun, right? I don't remember where I was now. Andrea, was that your husband? Uh, I will talk to somebody after church. Uh, the word sin means to miss the mark. See, here's what. I'm, I'm not terrible at this, but I, I can notice that some of you miss the mark. Yeah, I miss the mark. You know, hey, you know you miss the mark? But here's another word that sin, the word sin means. It's real important for everybody in this room. It means to miss God's scope or will for your life. Do you hear me? So it starts at salvation. Jesus came to save you from hell. He did. He's a Savior. And today there's people in this room that, that, that you don't know Christ. And Jesus came, God came to save you, to give you a home in heaven someday. Wow. But it didn't stop there. Jesus came to save many of us from ruined marriages and wasted life. You're a Christian, but you're wasting your life. You're running in place or you're running backwards. And and Jesus being a Savior doesn't just stop when you got saved. He's trying to continue to save us from our sins. It, It won't be perfect this side of heaven, but it can be a whole lot better for most of us. That's for sure. Hey, where do you think racism comes from? Where do you think adultery comes from, or fornication, or or hatefulness, or bitterness, or meanness, or jealousy. That didn't come from your grandmother. That's sin is what that is. That is S-I-N. And it ruins your life. You go, well, I'm a Christian. This doesn't apply to me. You know how many Christians live a hundred feet below where God wants them to? Most of us. Jesus came to give us life, but not only life, but abundant life. And he came to save you so you could enjoy the full benefit and scope of life that he has for you. Our God is a savior to save your marriage and your friendships and your relationships and your joy and your peace and your life. That's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Our God came to save. He came to save us. I want to share something that Timothy Keller, who's a retired preacher from New York City, wrote. I think it's really good. He says, if... If Jesus Christ is actually God who came in the flesh, we're going to know so much more about God, aren't we? If Jesus is who he says he is, we actually have a 500-page autobiography, figuratively, of God. And our understanding will be vastly more personal and specific than just merely philosophical or, or religion. Because Christmas, look at what God has done to get to know you personally. 
If the Son of God would leave heaven to come to earth to become a real person to you, don't you think even this morning that the Holy Spirit would do anything in His power to make Jesus a real person in your life today? Christmas is God's invitation to you. Look what I have done to come near to you. Now it's your turn. You draw me. I don't want to be a concept or a theology our religion to argue, I want to be personal Lord and Savior and best friend in your life. Matthew 2.11. Matthew 2.11. The wise man walked in to where baby Jesus was. Here's what it said they did. They fell down and worshipped him. You know what time it is now? It's time to fall down and worship this Jesus. Would you pray with me? Christian, man, I want to talk to you more in a moment, but isn't it time today to renew, to re-energize, to fall back in love with this God who came at Christmas? If you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're unsure and you're sincere and you're ready, you're ready today to give your life to Christ. Pray with me. Pray with me if you're ready and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. And I accept that you died for me and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you just ask Christ in your life or you're ready to do so. We'll be happy to talk to you after church. I'll be over here. Other ministers will be around. We'll stay as long as we need to. Maybe you want to come right now. Talk to a minister. You've got a chance to give your life to Christ today. You may never have it again. Do it this morning. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. Or you can come when we stand and join us. We'd love for you to. Come and do that. You're a Christian today. I don't know where you are with God. Maybe you're away from Him. Maybe you're closed. But wherever wherever we are, the cool thing is we can always be better, always be closer. Maybe where you're standing, man, you just need to re-surrender your life to this wonderful Jesus. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar, get on your knees or face before God and just spend some time loving Him and worshiping Him. Let's stand and by all means, let's act on what God's saying to us.